0: This is Dan from Burlington, Vermont, and I'm tuned into the new TNN. Hello, new TNN podcast. This is Johnny C, and welcome to the latest edition of Junk Man. Today, we're going to be talking about a film from the year 2023, 20, and that film is the latest installment in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Ant-Man and the Wasp, Mania. And if you cannot tell, this is not the Johnny C. you're used to, but this is a variant of Johnny C. It is the Conqueror variant of Johnny C. Oh, my God! This fucking movie! Hi, everybody. I already did the intro. I forgot. See, sometimes I get into a fucking daze when I do these impressions. That was my best attempt at Kang the Conqueror from Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania. Directed, if you could call it that. Okay, actually, that's very harsh and mean. You... don't try to be so mean-spirited on this show, because it, it, it doesn't do anybody any good, okay? And uh, But the film is directed by Peyton Reed, and it is the... Oh, I don't fucking know. Uh, I was wondering if Wikipedia could tell me real quick. What is It's like the 28th, 30th, 46th entry in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Came out in February of 2023, and uh, like the other Ant-Man films, I skipped them theatrically. Unlike the other Ant-Man films... I found uh, when I watched it at home for the very first time, I was not amused. And normally, I save my. It's the thirty-first, according to Wikipedia. God damn, thirty-first MCU film. This is this is an awful introduction because I I'm 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 going off script. You know, I, I do these things in such a way that I don't reveal at least I try not to reveal my true thoughts or anything like that until we actually get to that portion of the show. But here on Junk Man, we talk about movies. We look at some of the movies that are not as loved as the others, and we decide, well, are they junk or are they not? Mentioned it 17 times last time, man and the Wasp Mania, directed by Peyton Reed. Okay, Now, this film um, had a lot of built-in expectations, being the official film to kick off Phase 5 of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. You know, saying the words Phase 5 of the Marvel Cinematic Universe out loud into a microphone really has me questioning the direction of my life. Have we reached the saturation point? I mean, this is what we wanted, right? And when I say we, I mean, I remember being a little pimply-faced fuck back in the day reading My Wizard magazine, and there'd be rumors, pray tell, like, Hey! Did you hear they might make an X-Men movie or they're going to make a Spider-Man picture? You know, they're going to make Fantastic Four. There's going to be another Batman. There's going to be Batman Triumphant. It's going to be Scarecrow and Harley Quinn. And guess what? Scarecrow is going to make Batman see the Joker. And they're getting Jack Nicholson back. It's going to be great. Can you imagine a Batman 5 following in the footsteps of Batman and Robin? Can we have Harley Quinn and Joker dancing to Gotham City? Oh, Yeah. I don't want to talk about Batman and Robin, though I talked about that for like six hours one time. So uh, my point is, though, I remember being that kid and and just wishing, wishing that all of these amazing characters would be brought to life. And I didn't even know how amazing the medium of comic books could even be at the time. I just, you know, liked the X-Men fucking cartoon, and then I got into X-Men comic books, and then I started reading The Punisher. There's a big mistake. Jesus Christ, I remember the fourth or fifth grade being like, hey, I got the new Punisher 2099. He he kills a guy with a bat in this one. Okay, Punisher 2099 is pretty fun. Uh, But The Punisher is one of those characters that it's like, uh, people like it for all the wrong reasons. And, you know, they just like when he shoots people, and they don't like the part where he suck, fucking sits in a shack or in the sewer and and reads and writes stories about Nam and, and tries not to kill himself? Because that's what you want out of your superheroes. Actually, I'd fucking watch that movie. That's what we need at this point. We need a shock to the system. But I, we've reached the point that I feel like nerdy kids like me always wanted— your favorite character, your least favorite character, your buddy's favorite character, your mom's favorite character has probably appeared in a big budget cinematic film. And what are we doing with the genre? I just don't really know at this point. And, And I'll say this. I have a lot of love for the Oh, God. I don't want to sound like a Snyder cultist because I'm not. It's done. It's over. We got three movies. Okay. Here. Okay. Side note about the Zack Snyder DC trilogy. Okay. I've done a couple of shows where I've talked about it and spread my love for it, etc., etc. But when, like, at what point do you fucking not realize that you won and the fight's over? I never like fucking went to a a say release the Snyder cut rally. Okay, I never got into a chat room or a forum or went on Reddit or anything like that and been like, guys, we're going to we're gonna fucking, uh, let's get together and go pick it at the Warner Brothers Studios. Like, I, I never did anything like that, okay? And I guess I should shout out those who did peacefully and respectfully because we eventually got the movie. But that's my whole point. Like, when Justice League came out in 2017, it was a heartbreaker because I really appreciated the tone and the portrayal of the DC Universe in Man of Steel and Dawn of Justice. And then we got the Justice League theatrical version that was released and it was like a nightmare to someone who loved that. They ripped all the characterization that I enjoyed away from it. They didn't even use the fucking music that I loved. That. Music in a comic film goes so... In any film, actually, goes so far. I'm talking about the score. But Hans Zimmer and, uh, fucking... I almost called him DJ Lethal. Uh, fucking Hans Zimmer and Junkie XL's, you know, DC Universe themes are always really great. Not to mention a shout-out to, uh, Rupert Gregson-Williams, who did uh, Wonder Woman and Aquaman. Why do I know these things? Because I'm a nerd! Get over it. But... Where was I going with this again? Oh, yeah... So the Snyder people, like the people that went out there, like, we won. Or you won. Can you believe you live in a world? Like, you wanted the Snyder Cut so bad. We You begged for it. You, you fucking lost money and sleep over it. And moments of your life you can't get back. And you know what? You won. We live in a world without the press of a button. You can watch the four-hour version of Justice League. You never thought you'd get And you can even watch it in black and white. Which is my preferred method since I'm very colorblind. But, like, let it go. It's over. Find a new show. Oh, wait, that's for forgetting Sarah Marshall. It's like The Sopranos. It's over. Find a new show. Like, it's over. Get off Twitter. Do something. Watch a baseball game. Find someone to love. Jerk off. It's all fun. I like baseball. I like love. And, well, you know, I mean... (laughs) Anyway, um, but the comic book cinematic world is... I mean, the fucking world is your oyster. Pick a fucking type of hero do you want. Do you want uh, the X-Men to fight for the rights of, uh, you know, for basic human rights? Do you want to just, you know, say dick and cock and shit a lot? Okay, watch Deadpool. Do you want to brood? And do you want to cut yourself and think that humanity has lost all their uh, fucking goodness? Watch Dawn of Justice and Man of Steel and Justice League, you know? Uh, Do you want to have a rousing good time with your family, friends? Uh, Okay. Pick a fucking couple movies out of the earlier to mid MCU and watch that. Oh, I'm sorry. What's that you say? You want to fucking grow a very long beard and write in a journal that'll someday be administered as evidence? Okay, let's watch Watchmen! That's fine! I like Watchmen, I'm just saying. A lot of people like Rorschach for the wrong reasons. So, given all that, what does Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantumania, have to say about the human condition. What does it have to say about our species? What does it have to say about our symbols? I'll tell you exactly what it has to say. All of our humanity, all of our uh, cultural mythology touchstones, it doesn't matter what you believe, they all come in thirty-one delicious assorted flavors at Baskin-Robbins. It's okay. You can use real companies and advertise in movies. It, it, it's got to be done. These things are expensive. So I'm not. I don't even hate on the Baskin Robbins nonsense. It's actually a fun callback. But we'll get into that when we talk about the movie proper. And I'm not going to do this like I do other movies, okay? Because I did not plan on doing Junkman, Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantumania, okay? I've been working on a Junkman episode that is so much more fun to me than this, okay? But I, I watched it and I had to do it. So I didn't watch it taking. Notes. Alright, so this is going to be a little more stream of consciousness and less beat by beat by beat, but that's fine. Ant Man in the Wasp Quantum Mania stars Paul Rudd as Scott Lang, Ant Man 2. Well, he is the second Ant Man. I guess he is in the MCU too. Um, you know, Scott Lang's kind of interesting. You know why? He's got a dead fucking daughter. And he's pissed off and he hates his life and he steals things. And he finds redemption and love in the family that is the future foundation. Not in this movie, though. God, that's that's a fucking that's whoo, really off the beaten path for all you comics nerds out there. But I do recommend FF. Good comic book. Only ran for like 12 issues or 16. You can buy it all on comicsology.com. Uh Paul Rudd, of course, is fucking glorious. Like great. I love Paul Rudd. You know what the problem with Paul's performance in this film is, though? I feel like for the first time he knows the scoop and that's not a 31 flavors joke he kind of knows that everybody's kind of into Paul Rudd and the charm has worn off here in the third film Evangeline Lilly as Hope Van Dyne the wasp too I don't know Uh, people got mad because she fucking said things and I don't remember what she said and it was probably lame and I don't care I mean, I just, I don't know. What happened? Like when social media was first exposed to me uh, back in like 2004 when the the Facebook came to the university I was enrolled at, okay, and everybody was like, hey, you got to get on this Facebook thing. I thought, like to me, social media was just like another way to fucking tell jokes or say something funny. And when I say something funny, I don't mean like, hey all you LipTars, you're you're dumb and I got a gun. Like I not that's not funny. I mean like literally funny. Like your fucking Facebook status update would be like a fucking would you rather have sex with uh Meg Ryan or Jack Nicholson? Jack Nicholson now or Jack Nicholson 73? 73. Meg Ryan. Like that's that's what I thought it was. I thought it was just another version or variant, to speak in Ant-Man terminology, of the AOL Instant Messenger away message. Like, when did people start taking social media seriously? I don't understand. Like, now and and look, like I understand it's like a it's a mass communication tool to communicate to the vox populi. Okay. Oh wait, no, vox populi is the voice of the population uh, to the uh, to the populace. Sorry, got my fucking. I think it's Latin, wrong, to the populace. But, I, I, you know, like, in, in the, like very real situations, like like the president of Ukraine could tweet out, um, you know, hey, avoid these areas. And that's a very serious thing, and I'm not trying to make light of that. Um, and, and, but that just goes to show, like, how powerful of a tool it is. But I, I, I just thought it was going to be jokes. And now it, like, creates so much discord and hate Amongst the populace, and it's just sad because we took a tool and instead of telling fart and dick jokes or whatever jokes are your pot of tea, it doesn't have to be a fart or a dick joke. It could be a vagina joke. I'm I'm not, I'm an equal opportunity jokester, okay? Uh or it could be a genderless joke too. Like and 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 I'm and when I please. Would I try to overcorrect myself? Like, I'm being serious. Like, I don't ever want to come across as one of those people. I'm super inclusive and I love everybody until you're an asshole. Then I, you know, I I would only ever dislike someone on the on the simple fact that they're a, an asshole or a dick. Don't be a dick, Darren. I'm not a god. I hate this movie. If you see it, you know what I'm talking about. Um, we'll skip him. I'm gonna do him last. That's what she said. Catherine Newton as Cassie Lang. Stature. Although she's not called Stature in this. Hey, you right, remember Catherine Newton from not being in the other Ant-Man films or the Avengers Endgame. Because, you know, Cassie Lang is in Avengers Endgame and her scene's very poignant. Short, but poignant. Um, You know what's missing from Stature in this movie? You know what Catherine Newton is missing? Do you know what could have saved the day from Kang and all of his variants? It's real simple. One word, two syllables. Sultak? Because I know Catherine Newton from Pokemon, Detective Pikachu. A flawed film. A unique representation of the Pokemon world, but as someone who's grown up with that series, introduced it to my kids. Hell, I, you know, play some cards with my kids sometimes. Yeah, yeah, I'm a nerd. I'm a nerd. It's cool. I look good. I'm still a nerd. Deal with it. Wow, this is really off the rails. I don't really believe that. <laughs> but, uh, you know, this girl's fine. I, I She's fine in uh, Detective Pikachu. I like. I don't mean any ill will towards her. Uh, I think the character is wasted because it's a very fucking thin-ass script, and she just says stereotypical things in this movie. But uh, as an actor who's paid to say these lines, she's fine. But I really was missing Saltak. I can't promise I won't say duck again during this podcast, ladies and gentlemen. Katie O'Brien as Jen Tora. Now, actually, this was a pleasant surprise. I only know Katie O'Brien uh, from her appearances on the Disney Plus television program, The Mandalorian, where she plays that Imperial officer whose number I can't remember. Who was really good in that episode that took place on Coruscant and shed some light on the New Republic uh, government and the uh, program for Imperials that want to convert to republicanism? Or or, yeah, that's it. I forget what the technical program is called. Um, And and she's really good in that. Um, So when she showed up in this film as Gentor, I was like, "Hey, it's!" And then I paused and read the stats. I was like, "It's Katie O'Brien." Sorry, Ms. O'Brien, I just didn't remember your name, but you're a newster. You're a new face here in the wars of film entertainment. I do too many wrestling podcasts, but it's nice to meet you. And I look forward to seeing your work in the future. Just don't play Gentura. An a fucking useless character that I guess we'll talk about later. William Jackson Harper as Quaz. Okay, okay. Full disclosure, I like this guy. I like this character quite a bit. Uh, Maybe one of the only characters that made me laugh. He's the gentleman who can read your mind. And, yeah, I've seen Professor Xavier enough times with his serious mind reading. Oh, uh, Scott. "'I've read the mind of the Senate, "'and it looks like they're going to pass a vote "'to make it illegal to be a mutant. Uh, "'Scott, we cannot allow this to happen. "'We must destroy the Sentinels. Uh, "'Get Jean Grey, Rogue, Bishop. "'Oh, and don't forget Gambit! "'Oh, I love when Gambit comes along! "'Can we please bring Gambit? "'He, he plays three-card Monty with me, "'and oh, the, I think he's cheating, Scott, "'because I never win. "'Yes, call Gambit! "'Let's get him over here right away. "'Forget about the Senate vote!' Get, uh, actually, you know what? We're already calling Rogue and Jean Grey. Let's get Psylocke in here as well and maybe play some strip poker. Er, yes, I can make the girls think all their cards are jokers, or perhaps twos. No one wants a deuce, Scott. Why do you think they call it taking a deuce? But I think in order to get this party really swinging, let's call Gambit. Where was this going? Oh, yeah, Quaz. He can read minds. It's pretty funny. There's some funny gags. This guy was harmless. I mean, he was a very typical, ha funny Marvel character. Uh, like, oh, let's write something very obvious. It, it, we'll just say obvious things that'll be funny. Like, there's a big explosion. And I'm like, am I dead? You know, because that's Marvel humor and that's fine. But this guy has charisma. He's got some charisma here. All right, now, where to go to next? Michelle Pfeiffer as Janet Van Dyne Wasp 1. Actually, I got nothing bad to say about Michelle Pfeiffer in this movie. She's one of the only actresses that has, or, or actors or actresses that has anything interesting to say or do. And you know what? Uh, her and another character uh, resonates some heat in this movie. Oh, yeah, it's H-E-A-T, baby. We are live on the USA Network to watch Janet Van Dyne and Kang the Conqueror get down. Oh, Kang, you and the Wasp are going downtown. Yeah, Michelle Pfeiffer is awesome in this, I will say. Well, awesome being a relative term. Uh, She's got shit to do. I don't want to talk about him yet. All right, here we go. Michael Douglas as Hank Pym, or Henry Pym to his lover, uh, the original Ant-Man. You know what? Good on you, Michael Douglas, getting some fucking money to leave to the rest of your family when you eventually die. We'll all die. That's not a joke, okay? He's just older. Um. Hey, speaking of Michael Douglas, I saw a solid trailer for that new Fatal Attraction TV show coming to Paramount Plus with Lizzie Kaplan and Joshua Jackson. Uh, a couple of things. One, looks kind of interesting because I like Fatal Attraction. A uh, two, Lizzie Kaplan. She's perfect casting in this role, in my opinion. I haven't seen the the, the series yet, but. Yeah, I believe it. Uh number three, Josh Jackson. Dude, hey, I I have the show called Toadman. I'm a pacey mark. I love me some creek. Josh, your hair. What did you do to your hair? I kinda hate it and love it at the same time. It's like a it's like a 2025 mullet. I don't know, I kinda like it, but it's it's weird though. I gotta get used to it i got to get used to it. You know, Michael Douglas is fine here. He's got charisma. He's, uh, I mean, it's a its a fucking role he could do it his sleep. Uh, I, I will say this. Even though I i saw the clip being passed around the YouTubes when Marvel was promoting the film, I still laughed watching this movie when he's walking around like, Wow, we're in a quantum realm, and there's so many amazing things. Think of all the things we can learn. Uh, this is going to change medicine, science. It's going to change religion. Holy shit, that's a piece of block. That guy looks like broccoli. I mean, I still kind of laugh because, you know, you get a good Michael Douglas. Holy shit! You know, he gets to say grown-up words in a Marvel movie, so I appreciate that. Now, I skipped some folks here at the Wikipedia. And, yes, God bless Wikipedia for having a cast list here for me to shamelessly read off of. I got three left. Uh, yeah, I skipped three because I wanted to talk about them last. Let's start with, I guess, the least egregious. Bill Murray as Lord Kryler. Lord Kryler is only in one scene, and he eventually gets eaten by uh, Malamar or Nialego, Pick your octopus Pokemon. I don't really care at this point. And, you know, Bill Murray's fine here. I was entertained by Bill Murray. I don't care. Like, good for you, Bill. Again, just get yourself a big-ass paycheck. But what a... what's... Like, I... I, I I, I, I'm sure Bill Murray's not going to make, like, a long-term commitment, but if you get in the door and you're Marvel and you're like, Bill, can we get you for something? Like, have it be the... Like, why this? Think about him as the, What if he was the Fantastic Four's mailman? Uh, geez, Dr. Richards, uh, I got some mail here for you. You want to take a look at it? Um, you know, it, it's nothing really big. It's just a letter from uh, your doctor. It looks like uh, your dick's going to stop working. And, you know, it's Adam Driver as Reed Richards, and he's like, uh, uh... What's the fucking... Ma- Willie Limpkin... Mailman. <laughs> no, he'd probably be more like Kyler Ed, He'd be like, Mailman, how, why did you open my letter? I- <laughs> you can't read my mail. It's a federal offense. I'll show you a federal offense, mail guy. Well, oh, that's okay. Take it easy, Dr. Richards. I understand why uh, you're mad and everything because of what your doctor said, but don't worry, because you got another package here. looks like your boner pills are here. You're going to be fine, Dr. Richards. Hand me the boner pills, Willie. Speak of this to no one. Oh, that's okay, Dr. Richards. I ain't really got any friends anyway, so I'll see you the same time tomorrow. All right, mailman. I'll see you tomorrow. Thanks for visiting the Baxter Building. All right. Next up... Corey Stoll as Darren Cross slash MODOK! No, no, the feed didn't cut. I just don't think the English language has words to describe how I'm feeling about Modoc in this film. No, no, I don't think I have them. Fuck me! Stop! Just stop! Stop! Mo, stop! Okay? Mo, stop. I mean, you know when you okay, you know when you're on an actual desktop computer, okay. And I don't know, you're killing time, but you're not killing time that way. All right, maybe you're looking at uh, I don't know something you really like. Maybe you're looking out, uh, you know, uh, uh, pictures from WrestleMania, okay. And you find a picture. Uh, A great picture of Roman Reigns standing triumphant. He's looking cool. He's looking good. He's looking fierce. He's looking like a tribal chief. ooh And you're like, hey, I'm going to make that uh, picture the desktop on my wallpaper. And you right-click, you know, save as wallpaper or make wallpaper, and then you minimize your web browser, and you're like, oh, my God! What happened to the picture? Oh, my desktop settings were set on stretch. Fixed it. You couldn't do that with Modoc's face. Oh, fuck it. I don't even care. I don't even care. I don't even care. I feel my sperm count getting lower just talking about it out loud. Last, and I guess last. No, I was going to say last, but certainly. Okay. Last, but certainly not least, and I mean that. One of the reasons I started the podcast doing this cadence is because Jonathan Majors in this film appears as Kang the Conqueror, a variant of Nathaniel Richards, maybe, we'll see, uh, that was exiled to the quantum realm by the Council of uh, Kangs. Council of Nathaniel Richards. I actually, there's a really good Fantastic Four comic book where Reed Richards from the 616 finally joins the Council of Reeds. It's a Jonathan Hickman book, so of course it's good. So I can get behind this Council of Kangs thing. But Jonathan Majors... And I also recently watched Creed three, and I have no idea who Jonathan Majors is as a human being. And I'm not. I, yes, I. You might say to yourself, "Well, Johnny, I listened to your podcast in chronological order, and in the last episode of WW Must Die, you made a Jonathan Majors a joke, and I did. Okay, I made it because it was a hot topic, not the store. Okay, with the t-shirts. Although you can buy wrestling t-shirts at Hot Topic, so maybe it's not the best uh, comparison. But you know." It, I don't know what the man has done in his life and to whom he's done it to and you know I do believe in uh innocent until proven guilty and I also believe in rehabilitation if one does commit a crime okay I, I think there are some things you can come back from and I think you can get help so please this is and that's all I'm going to say and that those are general comments about the world at large okay? I'm not going to talk anything about Jonathan Majors aside from his performance in this film, and his performance in Creed 3, I guess, because I'm going to use it as a comparison point, because those are the two films I've seen him in that I know of. Majors owns this movie. He does something with this character that makes it feel more than. And his Creed 3 performance is so interesting, too. And They're kind of similar. And I guess here's something I'll have to say about Jonathan Majors, the person. Uh, And given the recent allegations, I don't know if maybe it it makes sense or not, if they were to be true. And again, this is a topic I'm not really comfortable with because it's, again, I feel like a person on social media is trying to say things they don't know. I'm not a doctor. I'm not a psychologist. I'm not a lawmaker. I'm not a jury of your peers. I'm not a judge. I'm not a lawyer. But there is some fucking pain. In that man's eyes. In the characters that I've seen him inhabit. There is. There is something there that's haunting. That's frightening. That's mesmerizing. That's intellectual. That's interesting. This man. Every word. Every word. A choice is made for. I feel like as an actor. As someone who studied the craft of acting. Okay. Jonathan Major's. May possibly rise to be someone that has very few equals. If the path of acting is continued, like uh, just acting, I'm just talking about acting. Okay, there's some real interesting shit going on in that head with the choices that he makes as an actor. Well done, Mr. Majors, in terms of this and that performance. Okay. It's really just too bad that the performance is stuck in this movie that I honestly feel literally was just created to unleash this actor and his talents and the characters he will inhabit into the Marvel Cinematic Universe so it can be plucked and plucked at leisure. You know? It's like every great sports entertainer, for an example, has to have a first match. You know? It's like, what, Goldberg beat Hugh Morris? And I'm like, well, he's not a great sports entertainer. But, you know, like, everybody has to have a first appearance. And it's just really too bad. I guess low stakes. I guess low threat. I don't really know if that was sort of what they were going for or what they wanted to get across. Like, oh, yeah, it's cool. He can wrestle with Ant-Man for a few minutes and then get sucked into a dimension. Maybe he's dead. Maybe he isn't. I don't know. It's cool. At least he's out there and we can use him. Hey, want a beer? I just, I don't know. And that was just supposed to be the introduction. And I think I've already ranted or raved for like, raved for like 30 minutes just about the cast list and a couple of other things that we talked about along the way. Um, but what we're going to do now is I guess we're going to take a look at the movie and the structure of the film and just sort of pick apart what worked and what didn't work and then we'll go home. Because, yeah. Okay, so we start off as most films do, with your studio logo roll, okay? Now, that might be a stupid thing to mention. Well, you know, how often am I going to talk about something like this? Actually, probably more often than I'd like to. But I will fully admit, the, the Marvel Studios intro has become sort of a cultural touchstone. And what I mean by that is when I watch a Marvel film, you know, regardless, of course, the early ones don't have the ones that the one that it does now. But the, the music, the imagery, you know, it it gets you pumped. It's a jaunty little tune. You know, the as stupid as it might sound, man, I can't tell you how many times, um, it, you know, when you watch a movie a lot of times, not that I've watched this a lot of times, but it becomes part of the experience to the point where, to use Star Wars 789 as an example, I miss the 20th Century Fox uh, lead-in with the uh, 20th century fanfare. Um, That's fucking iconic. Thank God. Thank God it's still intact on every release of Star Wars Episode IV, New Hope, Um, because that's the one that really, like, matters, matters, matters for, like, historical purposes. Um, But, yeah, I just, I can't imagine a Marvel film starting without it. And it does build some goodwill. Of course, I always love when they update it with stupid things, but that's not like, like, I love the old, like, the old methodology of logos, um, where they would change something subtly if it was a special release. Now, I'm not going to sit here and say that the Transformers movies are any good, uh, but, you know, when the Paramount stars go to Paramount Mountain, each star makes, like, a robotic, like... Or, uh, goddamn, the fucking opening to Street Fighter 94. It's the Universal logo with Earth in the middle. It's like, bomb bom, 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 bom. And then all the text goes away, and it zooms in on the Earth, and it's like, boom, Street Fighter. It's fucking ridiculous that I know that shit. What am I doing with my goddamn life? Uh, we have a cold open a cold open with Janet Van Dyne in the quantum realm. We know she was trapped there for some time and suddenly a man appears. I think there's some other stuff, but like I said, my notes are slim to none. It's Kang the Conqueror. We know this. I know this. You know this. Um, And he's like, where am I? And then we cut to the present day. Uh, It kind of feels like there's, I don't know, this feels like a, it could also be the cover to like a checkout aisle romance novel, some erotica going on here. But what has Scott Lang been up to since the events of Avengers Avengers Endgame? Well, he's walking around San Francisco to a jaunty tune. Welcome back. Welcome back. Welcome back. He appears to be somewhat of a freeloader. You know, he'll he'll He'll, you know, let people buy him dinner randomly, which I, I do think is a nice, like, in-universe touch. Like, he gets recognized at a dinner, and someone's like, oh, my! The, I'm, the only reason I'm sitting here at dinner with my wife is because you reversed the blip. Let me pay for your dinner. And he's like, oh, no, no, you get, okay. And, and that that's, that's good Paul Rudd. I mean, that's, like, easy. All right, Paul Rudd could do that in his sleep. He's also a best-selling author that listens to his own audiobook. Now, I've been caught listening to my own shows in my own vehicle by individuals in my family, but it's usually before they're released, and I'm looking for something to trim out. I mean, look, I don't trim a lot, okay, clearly, but sometimes I will be like, oh, you know what, I I stuttered in my words there, and I'm cutting out the stutter. You know what I'm saying? Uh, And that's why I listen to it. I get no enjoyment out of hearing my own voice pontificate on things that I enjoy. Hey, will you turn the volume up over there, son? I can't hear myself. All right, thank you. All right. Uh, he also goes and visits his old friends at the Baskin Robbins he worked at for like an hour. Let it go, Baskin Robbins. But he's named like employee of the millennium. It's kitschy little stuff. Um, you know, etc., etc. Now, what has Hope Van Dyne the Wasp been up to? Well, she's been changing the world. Somehow. I mean... Look, I like this aspect of the Hope character. She's running Pym Tech or whatever. Stark Tech, Pym Tech, Reed uh, Richards Tech. Uh, what else we got? Who else is famous? We got Hawkeye Tech. Uh, we've got Captain America Tech, Falcon Tech. I mean, everybody's got a tech company in the MCU, okay? They're like McDonald's. You just you just start one. Um, but she is changing the world by, I, I don't know, like shrinking food and then embiggening it to feed. And that's a cool concept because we we didn't... It's such an interesting accident. And I'm not trying to make light of like actual human suffering and death, please. But it's such an interesting thing that Avengers Endgame comes out in 2019 where they reverse the blip. And then in reality, we sort of, you know... We experience the pandemic, and industry slows down, and eventually we start to feel the crunch on it. So, when everybody blips back, it's like, well, shit, we've only been making enough food for fifty percent of the population, et cetera, et cetera. And, and you know, I, I like that she has this technology, and it's a it's a good thing to do when you're not wearing your superhero costume, and it makes hope infinitely more interesting. Unfortunately, we only get this in like twenty second montage. Like I've talked about it longer than it's addressed in the film. Uh, primarily, she just sits in her office and waits for got Lang to show up and she could be like, yay, I get to go and Baby a man's girlfriend. And they hang out and have a beer on the San Francisco or Gold Gate Bridge. I don't know. But, you know, it, it would have been nice to talk about that sort of stuff. Now we meet up with Cassie, who's in jail. Bum, bum, bum. Uh, her and her side duck got uh, caught trying to steal the uh, plants from a lab where Mewtwo is and there were greninjas throwing water shurikens. It's fucking crazy. But Cassie's in jail because she was trying to help out some homeless people, like they were protesting peacefully uh, because they were uh, homeless because of the blip, et cetera, et cetera. I I get it. I like it. She's altruistic. She's fighting for a good cause. But all this is is the movie's way of shorthand uh, storytelling. It's basically an easy way for her to be like, I learned it from you, Dad! (gasps) I learned it from you, without having a scene like that, because, you know, it's a Marvel movie. You can practically hear cats in the cradle and a spoon playing in the background. Now, uh, I-, I do like the idea that Cassie is now an active person wanting to help the world, and Scott sort of retreated into, no, I'm good, I did my part. A- and I get that. He fucking did his part. You know, he he didn't join the military even though he weighed 10 pounds and was three feet tall and, and nothing gets people to weigh 10 pounds or three feet tall and he didn't you know start a, a tech company he's not he's not a god from As- asgard you know he's just a guy who found a suit and, and and i'm giving it sounds like i'm giving this movie a lot of credit I, I, this is like a 10 minute montage before we get we spend 10 minutes in the real world before we get to the quantum realm if if so i don't know but Cassie, we all know that Cassie is Ant-Man's daughter, right? Her, her mom and her stepdad, who was like that nice guy, I guess, are nowhere to be found in this, and it's fine, whatever, who cares? But I think, I think she's the illegitimate child of Tony Stark because we cut to the Hank's lab, and the whole family's there, and it's like, hey, we're at the lab, let's, let's, let's talk about technology. And she's now like a pim Particle manipulation genius. And, and look, I want to make one thing very clear. This is not a Mary Sue thing, because I fucking want to punch those people in the face. Uh, let me explain. This is a pr- The problem with this is everyone in the MCU that we're focusing on is pretty much some sort of a genius in one way or another. And that's a big problem with not having superpowers. Your superpower has to be like the peak of the human condition. You know, Batman's like an Olympic level or post Olympic level athlete, you know, he has inhuman stamina, like you know, and whatever. But it's like everybody in the MCU that you're coming across is a fucking genius. And this will sound very Mary Sewish, but just let me finish a sentence first. I don't recall like Scott was never like, oh my daughter, she's great. She's cute. Like, like she's so cute, she's the cutest little 10-year-old you ever meet. She's in the gifted program. Hell, she's smarter than me. Like, I don't—you rec- know, there's no scene of, like, her doing the crossword when Scott's stuck on it or something like that, indicating that she has some sort of uh, Stark-level genius or, you know— And I just—I don't know. It's just—it it feels— over like an oversimplification to just get into thing because she's built a beacon they can communicate with the quantum realm for some reason she wants to do that and janet's like oh my god no turn it off that's a bad michelle pfeiffer um and, and and she's been working on a project with hank trying to make ants more intelligent like i'm sorry what like i get it but it just—and it makes sense for—I just don't know. I don't care. And, if, and it wouldn't matter, except the ants become so important here in a few— well, you know, at the end of the movie. But they built, like, a super genius ant colony that's evolving over time and becoming more intelligent, okay? Now, uh, the portal, you know, they open it and show off Janet's, like, turn it off. She's like, okay, geez, I turn it off. Gosh, you're scaring the Psyduck. duck. But the portal is reopened because the communication goes two ways and everybody gets pulled in and hold on to your butts. It's time for the 3D adventure that is the Quantum Realm. There's nothing like watching a nice 3D movie at home on your phone, which is how I watch this. But, you know, I don't think it'd be any better on the big screen because 3D is a gimmick and blah, 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 blah. Um, We all land in the Quantum Realm. Since it's a sequel, though, it's a superhero sequel film, which means... The superhero team is going to be cut up into small groups. You see this all the time. X-Men United. X-Men United. X-Men United. Okay, there are other examples, but the one I can think of is fucking X-Men United, okay? Uh, and we basically have two groups scattered across, across, across? scattered across the quantum realm. On one side, Hank Pym, Janet Pym, or Janet Van Dyne, nah, you know, and Hope Van Dyne are together, and then on the other part of the Quantum Realm, Scott Lang and Cassie Lang are together. Wait a minute, that's just the Pims with the Pims and the Van Dynes and the Langs with the Langs. How fucking creative, now that I'm thinking about it. Scott and Cassie end up with the Na'vi. Well, they get captured by, like, the indigenous people of the Quantum Realm, and oh my god, the fucking creature design here, okay? It's like Taika Waititi... Uh, smoked some shitty pot and handed it to Peyton Reed. It was like, "Oh, here you go, mate. I, don't know. I got some ideas. Here you go. Just, just, do it. People will love it. They'll love it. It's a shitty takeaway, T T. Um, but there's like a dude with a flashlight head. Uh, there's, oh my god. There's the fucking MCU version of Olaf. He's like this goo pile. I don't know his name. You can absolutely tell that the suits at Marvel were like, oh my god, this goo guy, this is going to be like our Grogu, or or you know what, it's going to be our Olaf. Very reminiscent of Olaf from the Frozen films, okay? Uh, He's also voiced by the Polka Dot Man, Uh, David Dash Mellon, Uh, sorry David, who was in the original two Ant-Man movies, but uh, whatever, who cares? Now, Scott can't understand what anybody's saying, and Cassie's like, "Dad, you gotta wheeze the juice." He's like, "Wheeze the juice," and the guy from *Insidious* man's like, "Wheeze the juice," but yeah, you gotta drink this juice that they're gonna give you, and uh, he does. And there's a ridiculous gag where the juice e- like emanates from the little Olaf blob guy, and it's like, "Oh, it's funny now. How many how many holes do you have in your body? Uh, I don't have any holes." And he's like, I don't know how many holes I have. And then we meet the psychic guy, who I talked about earlier, who I thought was pretty decent. He's like, you have seven holes. He's like, oh, I guess I have seven holes. Uh, But, you know, the psychic guy is somewhat entertaining. And we also meet Katie O'Brien, who we talked about earlier from The Mandalorian, who's the J-Girl. I refuse to call her whatever her name is because it's just... I looked it up on Wikipedia. She's like a character that was created in 2010 that has like six credits in comic books, so it's not exactly like a thing. But why did I jokingly call him the Na'vi? From Avatar for the uninitiated. Oh, we are initiated, Johnny Sheet, listening to a podcast about the League of Shadows. Hi, this is Bane. I can't resist a Bane impression. Uh, But they're like, our homes were taken by the Conqueror. These are our homes. Damn it, they took our jabs! You know, all that jazz. Um, let happened? Okay, the Pims, or the Van Dyne Pims dynasty, what are they doing on the other side of the Quantum Realm? Well, they have some more interesting stuff to deal with. Interesting, of course, being, uh, subjective, of course. Uh, like, they're wandering around, they do this stupid gimmick where they, like, run into the, 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 the bandits or the people in the desert, and... Janet gets into a fight with one of them, and it's like, you cut off my arm, ho, 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 I like you, uh, give him a car. Like they, She wins a car, and the cars are like animals, and they're like jets and shit, blah, blah, blah. And, and everybody's like, Mom, you know, or, or Hope's like, Mom, how do you know how to do all this stuff down here? She's like, we don't have time for talk about that, but it's okay, Wasp. I know a guy who knows a guy that knows a scout in L.A., And we can go talk to him right now. So they go to like Chronopolis or Kang City or whatever and and walk around. and, And this is where you see the broccoli guy, which is fine. But it's at this point, it becomes painfully obvious that this movie thinks it's Star Wars with the walking around, let's go to a bar, look at all the crazy creatures at the bar. Uh, I'm I'm literally, I I would not have been surprised, especially with the Disney co-ownership, if fucking... Or somebody yelled, McClunky! They all take shots of the juice, shot in the juice, that lets them understand what everybody is saying. Um, This is where Bill Murray shows up. OK, Bill Murray's like a uh, local warlord or fucking leader. I don't know. They never explain it, but he's an ex-freedom fighter. See, Janet eventually admits that she was a freedom fighter or a terrorist, depending on which side you were on. Uh, but he's, you know, he, he, he's clearly a bad guy. Like, the, the, you could see the heel turn coming a mile away. But I, the interplay between Bill Murray and Michelle Pfeiffer is pretty funny. He's all like, Janet, how are you? i thought of you endlessly. Like, it's pretty funny. And he knows, like, who Hank is and who Hope is because Janet would tell him stories. And it's, the the gag is, it's clear they fucked. And, and, And good on the screenplay. Eventually, it gets called out by Hank. And it's, she's like, I have needs, Henry. And he's like, yes, I understand. You were gone for 30 years. I had needs too. I went on a date with a woman once. It didn't go very well. Her name was Linda. Like, it's just. At least it's not some sort of fucking argument about it, so good on them, I guess. But uh, this scene is very reminiscent of the pretty much exact same scene in Tron Legacy, a far superior film about someone that gets pulled into a world that's not like their own. Wow. Much rather watch Tron Legacy with a fucking Daft Punk score. <laughs> Uh, but the club gets attacked. Bill Murray is dead. Maybe I don't know. I was watching on my phone. I don't know if he gets eaten by the giant octopus thing that got him embigged by Hope. You, you seen the movie? You know what I'm talking about. Like, I just I don't even want to spend time talking about it. Um, you know, it, it is what it is. They steal a car, and Hank has to learn how to drive it by sticking his hands in it like it's a turkey. Like it's just dumb, dumb. But no more dumb. Because at this point, after they get away from Bill Murray, everything kind of slows down, and Hank and Hope are like, Janet, what the fuck is going on here? And literally, I don't know how long this flashback is, but it's absolutely the most interesting thing in the entire film. All right. So we call back to the scene in the very cold open where Jonathan Majors is with Michelle Pfeiffer, and he's like, where are we? Uh, we all know that the Wasp was stranded in the Quantum Realm. Can, you know, Jonathan Major's character is there as well. And he basically says, I have a machine that can get us out of here, but the power source is broken. And they spend years working on it. And, of course, they, they form a bond. And, and And Kang is not... I mean, he's evil. Like, at this point in his history, he's eliminated multiverses and timelines, or universes and timelines and shit like that, uh, but the audience doesn't know that. And Majors, God help me, is extremely likable as Kang here, who's not, you know, we know he's a villain because we've seen the fucking trailer, but, um, and, and it's Majors is like this in Creed 3 as well, like his Damian character, and I won't spoil Creed 3 because you didn't press play on a podcast about Creed 3, but you know, if you've seen the trailer, you kind of know the gist of it. But Damien is very likable until he's not. Like, there's something off about him. Like, you can feel it coming a mile away. But he's also so, like, meek while being... Because his presence... Like, Jonathan Major's fucking jacked. Um, but he does meek and broken very well. And, you know, they eventually come to be... They, you know, they're stuck together. They become, like, close friends. I, I'm, I'm pretty sure they probably fucked, to be honest with you. I mean... You got Jonathan Majors there. Uh, well, actually, that's probably not a very good joke, considering all the shit. I actually just read before I started recording, like, more people came forward. So, please understand, I, I'm just talking about the performance here, okay? Again, innocent until proven guilty and all that jazz. I, get, I You know, I fucking did the disclaimers. But he's very interesting. He's very likable. Um, you know, but unfortunately the major drawback here is they're just trying to fix like the power source the battery to his ship you know we've seen countless shit like this in marvel movies before but it at least it's a slow moment that's pretty much dialogue based you know they tell each other stuff about their lives etc cetera, etc cetera. finally they fix the power source and when they plug it in kang's ship turns on And his ship is so advanced, it runs off of the person who's piloting its mind. And when Janet touches the ship, it's plugged into Kang's mind, and she gets to see inside his head and sees him destroying timelines, like, his entire life as a conqueror, etc., etc. And she basically shoots the power source with, like, a bunch of shrinking things, and it, like, goes subatomic in the quantum realm, so Kang can't get the thing. And then... You know she gets out eventually, but but what's so interesting here, and I I don't want to skip past it too quickly is how once she like once she sees his past and Kang's like oh he pretty much knows like oh I bet you saw everything he's like Janet like he's when he tells Janet that he would never do anything to her or to her timeline because the years they've spent together have been the only like her companionship has been the only thing that's gotten him through his exile to the quantum realm because the council of kangs exiled him because he's like the most dangerous version of uh nathaniel richards and uh i believe him he's like janet i'll I'll take you home and your timeline is completely safe like you know, I I don't know if that's what the script intended, but the way Majors is playing it, like I'm absolutely all in on him being like, yes, it's it, it's per it's it's a it's a great way to take an, an a character that's a villain and and give them some humanity or be like, you know, it, it makes them three dimensional and real. It's like, yeah, I'm a fucking asshole piece of shit that'll kill universe after universe because I want to be the conquer, but. You gave me something that's invaluable, and I could never do it to you. I, I, you know, hey, I have emotions just like you. I couldn't kill your timeline. You mean too much to me now, Janet. But Janet, of course, is uh, the wasp, you know? She can't let it go. All right, what happens next? See, and and, and that's a bummer, because it's like, now that, now that section's done. It's like the best part. Oh, well. Oh, yes, I remember what happens next. Uh, the... The Na'vi are attacked by Kang's forces, and the Lang family is captured. Now, you might be asking yourself, well, who leads the assault against the Na'vi? Is it perhaps Kang himself? Or maybe, I don't know, the Grim Reaper, Living Laser, Madam Mask, some other obscure Marvel villain. God, Marvel. I'll tell you what, man, and this this is not an MCU, well, it is an MCU thing, absolutely, Uh, but it's also a comics thing. You know, I'm not here to help you settle the internal debate of are you DC or are you Marvel? But I will say this. In my opinion, DC has much more memorable villains. And it helps that like every member of Batman's rogues gallery has had like a movie dedicated to them, practically. That um, certainly does help, okay? And Batman's mass popularity helps. I would say Batman and Spider-Man's rogues gallery probably uh, popular knowledge is somewhat similar to a certain ex- similar. simular? Did I fucking say similar? Fuck you, Quantum Mania. You're making me sound like a fool. But in, in 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 the public consciousness, Batman's is, you know, Batman has more memorable, but Spider-Man's is getting close in terms of brand brand awareness, goddammit. Well anyway, here's who leads the charge. It's MODOC! Woo Look, I'm not like a MODOK defender. I have zero love for MODOK. I watched one episode of the Hulu show with Patton Oswalt thinking it would be funny. It wasn't. So I'm not like, damn it, they ruined MODOK! I mean, they did ruin MODOK, but it has nothing to do with the fact that it's not... It's really MODOK in name and appearance only. But doesn't that make it MODOK then? Um, But because MODOK, you know, he's... He's wearing his his battle mask, if you will. MODOK with new detachable battle mask. I don't need the detachable battle mask. Because MODOK reveals his face. I mean, we talked about it in the intro. And it's Representative Peter Russo from Pennsylvania. No, wait, no. Well, it is Representative Peter Russo from Pennsylvania, for all you House of Cards fans. Uh, But it is Yellow Jacket. uh, Darren. Darren, whatever the fuck last name they gave him in the first Ant-Man movie. And, uh, you know, this this makes a certain degree of sense, because he was, like, shrunk down against his will and into the quantum realm. So, like, in terms of the narrative, it makes sense. But here's the worst part about MODOK. Because in terms of the narrative, it almost makes too much sense, but in a good way, to have MODOK be sort of the lieutenant bad guy here. Because you know Ant-Man and the Wasp are the other are heroes but we do have a lieutenant hero we have like a hero in training in the form of Stature and ladies and gentlemen yellow jacket is the personification of Stature's trauma from when she was a kid i mean he exists to fight Stature it, it, you know it, 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 this the way you know script writing 101 or storytelling 101 says Modok must eventually be defeated by Stature so, if he's here to elevate, you know, Cassie to become stature, I'm here for it. Oh, but that's not the case. Finally, uh, we get to Kang's prison. Ant Man and Stature are locked up in separate prisons, and Kang finally appears in like the present, in real time. No more flashbacks. Kang is here. And he gets, I guess one more interesting scene. <clears throat> Excuse me. This scene isn't as good as the scene with Janet in my opinion. Uh, Majors is still bringing it, but he's like, who are you? He's like, you know, I'm Scott Lang. I'm Ant-Man. You know, and it doesn't really resonate. He's like, I'm an Avenger. Oh, an Avenger. Tell me, have I could you before? Are you the one with the hammer? And yes, are you the one with the hammer is kind of a gag. But what's interesting here is that across multiple timelines and across multiple realities within the multiverse, Kang has fought the Avengers, the Avengers, as they were formed on that world, and killed them. I mean, this happens all the time. They'll invent a new Spider-Man, and he'll get five pages, and then he'll get killed, because, you know, we're introducing the big bad of this new uh, arc that we're doing, and it's like, oh, look, Kang just killed Spider-Man on Earth 2,462.8. You know, it's like, oh, look, on this this Earth, Spider-Man was a baseball player. Oh, I've got to get to the stadium. I'm fourth in the lineup today, you know, and he's just swinging, and he, he, he lands in fucking Yankee Stadium on top of the lights, he's changing to his jersey, and Kang just breaks his neck, and he's like, no more baseball for you, Spider Yankee, and then it's like, I don't know, Kang versus the Marvel Universe Part 1, written by... Johnny C, you know, and it's like, okay, yeah, there are various versions and variants of the Avengers that are just cannon fodder. I like that. It makes Kang feel like a Thanos level threat, which again is a nerdy comic book thing that is good because let's face it, these are just TV shows at this point and we need a new season arcing big bad. And when Thanos was introduced, he you know that first scene in Infinity War is really when Thanos was unleashed to us as viewers for the first time, and it clicked instantly because he went toe to toe with Thor and the Hulk easily, and uh, you know it, it just this revelation made Kang seem like a threat that's worthy of being included in this next stage of Marvel-based entertainment, and he even says something like, "I, I, I know, I know how it all ends." Uh, Why do you want to get out of here? I'm the only one that can stop what happens next. And it's like, hmm, is this version of Kang evil? Well, yes, he's killed trillions, but is he also a means to an end? Is he perhaps the only one capable of defeating the Council of Kangs, which we'll fucking talk about. but he needs Ant-Man to shrink down and get the core from subatomic quantum realm-ish areas, because Janet shrunk it with, like, the four devices. So, hey, Ant-Man is a... Scott Lang is a thief. Well, here we go. We got a time heist, and in uh, Endgame, now we've got a glowy orb heist. I mean, it it makes Ant-Man brand synergistic sense. So, uh, he threatens to kill Cassie, so Ant-Man does it against his will, but... He dives inside to the core. He gets even more subatomic in the quantum realm. And here's probably the last interesting thing in the entire movie. You know, Scott starts to see multiple versions of himself. Okay? And, oh, can we just talk about one more other thing I'm sick of in Marvel? Is removing the helmet or I'm sick of like, I get it. it. It's the inverse of Pedro Pascal in the Mandalorian, where they don't show him because he's not there. Whereas in Marvel, it's like, no, we're paying these people, uh, you know, get their beautiful faces on screen as much as you can. But I'm so done with every Marvel hero can make their helmet appear with, like, at will, with, like, a thought. Like, Kang does it. Ant-Man does it. Wasp does it. Stature does it. Iron Man does it. Spider-Man used to do it. I'm just done. I'm sure there's one. Star-Lord does it. God damn it. I'm just done with it. I'm done. Keep Batman in his fucking mask. Anywho. Um, so he starts seeing multiple versions of himself, and you're like, Whoa, Ant-Man, for your freaking clones, dude. But he's, it's not clones. MODOK's like, Scott, you're in a probability storm. Uh, okay, that's... God damn it, do I dare say that's interesting? And these versions of Scott that are emerging from him are all. They're not variants of Scott from the multiverse. They're variants from Hypertime, a DC concept that I love to make fun of. But it's like, this is every potential choice that you might make now that you're down here in fucking Subatomica or whatever. And, uh, you know, it's interesting. It doesn't really. It goes on too long, and it doesn't make sense that the Baskin-Robbins variant of Scott Lang shows up. But damn it, I I will admit for like 30 seconds, for about 30 seconds, the Baskin-Robbins variant was funny. Um, you know, he, he, Hope is trying to get to him, and there you get to see uh, the WASP probability storm. It's... Much less interesting because they don't give it time because she's a woman. No, I'm not. I don't really think they did. I just think somebody's... A lot of people had to get shortchanged here. Wasp is one of them. I don't think it was done intentionally because she's a woman. Um, I think that she's always been a secondary character. And here she gets even the shorter end of the stick. Um, In terms of, like... She gets some good action beats. Like, her and her mom are interesting, but it's not the thrust. And... Uh, I guess every Hope variant wants to save Scott because she eventually does save Scott. Uh, but what's cool here is that when Scott and his clones or his probabilities are, you know, all yelling at each other and riffing, because it's a lot of Paul Rudd riffing, he's like, Cassie! He says Cassie and all of them, all of them, like the millions of them all react to it. And I'm like, oh, I like this. Like, it. It. we already know that Cassie's Ant-Man's driving force, but... You know, this reinforces it that no matter no matter what happens throughout Paul or throughout Ant Man's timeline, it's always Cassie, and that's kind of beautiful. You know, as a father, like I I get it, like I'm with it. And all the Ant Man's, you know, act like ants and try to get him to the top. It doesn't work. Wasp saves him. Eventually, they shrink it down with multiple discs, and now we've got the core. Well, you know, Wasp, thanks for saving me, but it's time to go. You know, every, oh, the Pims. everybody meets up, independent of Kang, except Stature's still captured. And, you know, it's like, he's got Cassie. we got to give him the orb. And, and everybody's like, well, I don't know. What do we do? It's like, well, should we do the big hero fight? Should we do the Marvel Act 3 fight? And they're kind of like, okay, let's do the Marvel Act 3 fight. Stature gets free of her prison. She frees Katie O'Brien from The Mandalorian. At some point, Janet like breaks in the facility and, and gets more screen time with Kang one on one. There's less sexual heat, which is unfortunate. And, and Kang sort of gives her a PowerPoint of what he's been up to throughout his life. And this is where I get confused. And I'm a here's a this is a problem. I'm a nerd who is so comfortable dealing with this type of stuff. And I rewatched the last episode of Loki season two, a couple, like when Ant-Man came out in theaters, because I knew I wasn't going to go see it, and I was like, well, give me a little bit of this timeline stuff. And I understand multiversal incursions, because Jonathan Hickman, the great writer, invented those. And I get that Kang's been, like, all the Nathaniel uh, Richards, I always want to call him Nathaniel Summers, because that's Cable, but all the Nathaniel Richards have been freed from the timelines that were locked up, but... Is the threat Kang's killing timelines within different multiverse, I? Or, like, clean this up. Are we trying to rescue or battle across timelines or across different universes in the multiverse? I just need you to clean it up a little bit. But Structure Freeze, Katie O'Brien, she does a fucking emergency broadcast to all the rebels and the Na'vi. And, you know, Flashlight Guy's like, Hey, man, I'm Flashlight Guy we're going to start a revolution. When I come and we get good guys versus bad guys, armies running at one another, we get the Na'vi uh, versus the stormtroopers and Ant-Man and Wasp fight stormtroopers and shit. And and, and at this point, I don't know if I mentioned up but the bloom is off the rose with the pim particle powers. Like I'm just completely uninterested in watching Ant-Man, Wasp and Stature fight at any point. I don't know that they've ever been my favorite. Like I liked when they fought Ghost in the second one even though Ghost was kind of uninteresting. And I also, I did like um, the fight in Ant-Man and the Wasp, which would be the second part of the trilogy, where the Wasp fought all the goons in the restaurant, and she would, like, run on the knife. Like, that was a pretty cool fight. It had some visual flair. And, of course, you had uh, Walton Goggins. (laughs) Man, fucking Vice Principal's Walton Goggins. I I like Walton Goggins, man. Like, when he shows up and stuff, I'm like, oh. Okay, let's rock and roll. Where's he in this? Why isn't he in the quantum realm? Could have been Bill Murray's number two. Jesus, Walton Goggins and Bill Murray riffing off of each other unscripted and unsupervised for ten minutes? Yeah! Give it to me. Uh, The Olaf goop, goop guy gets shot and he finds, like, I have holes! And he fucking acts like Kirby, you know, from Super Smash Brothers or Kirby's Dream Land or whatever, and... You know, the fight's going on, and Kang's eventually like, fine, I'll do it myself. And and we get to see, like in the trailers, you saw the moments of Kang like finally unleashing and raging out. And he does kill a lot of people, but is this movie PG? Because he just like makes them pop and disappear. Like I'm not saying I need, well, maybe I do need charred corpses. You know, I don't know. And he doesn't even really go that crazy. Uh, but when things look their most dire and Kang is about to win and get the orb Hank's fucking ants from the ant farm all the way back in the beginning show up and they've evolved they're like a fucking I do like Hank's okay Hank does have a line where he's like they're like a level 2 technocrasty or technocast and I'm like oh my god that sounds like House of X and Powers of Ten from Jonathan Hickman which is the greatest comic thing of ever The Technarch, and uh, I'm not going to get into it. If you've read it, you know what I'm talking about. And I'm like, oh, my God, that's so interesting. But then they ruin it with the ants, and there's not even a Psyduck riding the ants. I mean, these are Cassie's ants. How They couldn't be like, Ant-Duck? Like, where is Psyduck? Psyduck. Um, But Hank's ants show up, and they pull Kang away. And I'm like, oh, my God, is Kang dead from ants? Somehow, Janet in the Kang's Palace is like, hey guys, I how we can go home, let's easily all go home. And we do. Except Kang shows up right before everybody goes to the portal, they're safe. Kang shows up for a final Ant-Man versus Kang fight. And I use the word fight. Ladies and gentlemen, I don't believe for a second that Scott Lang, the character, could last not even one round, not even one punch with Jonathan Majors, okay? HGH is a hell of a drug. Or whatever fucking Jonathan Majors is, allegedly, on to get to look like this. Maybe it's... I don't know. Maybe it's natural. I don't care. I'm not throwing shade if he did. I'm not. I'm really not. I'm just making a joke. Um, But I don't believe for a second Paul Rudd's Scott Lang could... could I don't even know if he could take, like, a little gut kick from this from Kang here. I mean, he'd be dead. Uh, The power of reshoots saves Scott because... Wasp comes back to the portal, clearly wearing a wig that doesn't match her hair for the rest of the movie. And they save Scott. And Kang gets kicked into, like, a... I don't know what he gets kicked into, but he starts to, like, imp. This is worse than Poison Ivy getting eaten by her own chair in Batman and Robin. I'm sorry! Because at least that Venus flytrap chair was alive... And it tasted food, and it was like, oh, even though this is poison ivy, I'm kind of hungry. Feed me Batman! Oh, I'm hungry! Like, I I don't know. I don't know where Kang goes to, but I guess he's dead because... I don't know. This version of Kang is dead. The Conqueror variant is defeated. And we're back on Earth for a happy ending montage. We end just the way we started. Welcome back. Welcome back. Welcome back. You know, the fucking old guy at the shop realizes that uh, Ant-Man isn't Spider-Man and makes him pay for his coffee. Saw that one coming a mile away. Uh, He picks up a gross cake from Baskin Robbins. Okay. And uh, there's... I don't know if I want to call this an interesting moment or not, but he's walking, he's doing his internal narration stops, and he's like, hey, wait a minute, we did beat Kang, right? Oh, wait a minute, that guy said he was the only one who could stop what was coming. Oh, man, did I, should I Should I have really thought about this a little bit more? Should I maybe call somebody and tell them what's going on? No, no, I'm good, I'm good. It is just used as a gag, and, and it's fine, I don't know. They all go to dinner for to make up for all of Cassie's missed birthdays, which has not been a thing throughout the rest of this movie. Uh, she's like, "Dad, it's not my birthday," and he's like, "I know, but I missed a few." Hey, Cassie, whatever happened to that side duck I bought you when you were a kid? Is that thing still alive or what? <laughs> Cut back to fucking Cassie's house, in the basement, side ducks locked up, chained up to the fucking wall. So <laughs> duck, and. I will say this, the movie ends on an absolutely perfect note. As a matter of fact, when the movie ended this way, I thought to myself, oh my god. The cast and crew of this film is aware that they made a piece of shit. Because Ant Man takes a bite of the Baskin Robbins ice cream cake, chews it, and we're on his face. He's he's fucking cold stare into the camera chewing. And he goes, directed by Peyton Reed. He gags and vomit, like, directed by Peyton Reed. It's just immediately directed by Peyton Reed. I'm like, oh my god, they know how bad this is. Well, it's Marvel. uh, So we should have some post-credit scenes. I'll skip to the very, very last post-credit scene where we see a variant of Kang as the guy uh, from Timely Comics that invents... The original Android Human Torch. And it's like, Loki, season two, coming to Disney+. Plus. Now the mid-credits scene. Oh my god, ladies and gentlemen. We meet the Council of Kangs. Now again, I mentioned, I'm comfortable with this. The Council of Reeds is a badass comic book concept. But these fucking Kang variants. The one Egyptian one is worse. It is worse than Apocalypse from X-Men Apocalypse. It looks ridiculous. I'm completely uninterested in these Kang variants. And icing on the cake. When dudes like. How many Kangs did you call? All of us. And we fucking see the Star Wars Senate Coliseum. Full of Kang variants. Like cheering and, and ready to get riled up. You know. Stop the steal. Stop the steal. We for some reason. Cut to One variant of Kang and ladies and gentlemen cocaine is now half a drug I don't know what Jonathan Majors is doing with this performance but he spikes the camera and he's overly enthusiastic pointing Kang he's like look at that oh my god it's the Egyptian Kang oh my god it's the robot Kang oh my god I'm so excited can overly enthusiastic pointing Kang get his own Disney Plus show I got to know more about this guy what the fuck is going on Oh, but that ends this discussion of Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantumania. As we often do here on Junk Man, we render a verdict. Is it junk or is it not? Oh, yeah. It's junk. It's giant man-sized junk. May God have mercy on its soul. And I don't know how we recover from this. You put the Jonathan Majors probably having to get recast as Kang on top of this as really bad PR. I don't know, man. I don't know where we go from this. I guess to the Marvels or Disney Plus season two, but I got to tell you, and again, I hate to say this out loud because the movie was trolled for stupid fucking reasons by dip, dip dicks and dipshits. And, you know, people hate on Captain Marvel because she's got a vagina. And it's, it's, oh my God. Like what is wrong with people? Especially because they're usually like heterosexual white males. It's like, dude, if nothing else, Bree Larson is objectively very attractive and, and that shouldn't fucking matter. It, like please under, that shouldn't matter. but it's like she's wearing a tight suit and again, look it, it look it, uh, please understand. I'm just saying if nothing else, like it, you get that out of it. Uh, and it yeah, uh, I'm done. I'm done this movie's junk I'm done I quit but I'm not where I was going with it is I'm not interested in the Marvels because I I do and I hate this is what I hate to admit even because of the trolling I I think Captain Marvel is a very bad movie Uh, it's structured poorly Bree's performance is not very good like it's unfortunate like because of the trolling like I'm not agreeing with that but I am saying that it's like probably the worst Marvel film I don't know this might be worse oh god you know what I can't I have to go back we didn't talk about Modoc's finality because the worst part about this is that Modoc goes to kill Cassie and he like crashes and his little fucking feet are dangling he looks like a goddamn idiot and she's like hey Modoc, Peter why are you acting don't be a dick it's never too late to stop being a dick I gotta go there's a revolution I- don't be a dick she doesn't like defeat her childhood trauma she tells it not to be a dick we're not getting into it. It's fucking... It's Ant-Man 3. We're not dealing with, like, real life. And he's like, I'm not a dick. And then he dies to fighting Mo- fighting Kang. It's dumb. This fucking... Hang- why Why does he look like a testicle with eyes and a mouth? It's rendered so poorly. Why? He's a stretched screensaver and he's a fucking... Uh, a, a testicle with too much skin. Icing on the cake... They're in. Shouldn't it be like a hundred years later when they get out of the quantum realm? What the fuck? Ant Man was in the quantum realm for six of his hours. For six hours. And it was five fucking years. I hate this. I hate this so goddamn much. I hate you. I hate you. Um, hey. What I don't hate is all the wonderful content here on the new TNN podcast feed. Make sure you subscribe so you get notified. When new content drops. And thanks for sticking along till the end if you made it. I hope you had fun. I did, actually. I did because it's, it was nice to be able to spew some comedic-based venom. I'm Johnny C. And a winner is you. Welcome Welcome